this is the last Sunday that this will look like this. We're going to two services at Easter, and uh, we actually have a member meeting tonight to discuss what that looks like going forward to make room for more people. And so thank you for being patient with us as visitors. Um, there's a kiosk right here. It says welcome on it. We hope that you will, if you haven't already, come to that kiosk after the service. We want to put a packet in your hand that lets you know a little bit more about us and help us get to know a little bit more about you. And as you consider uh, a journey of faith with us here at Crosspoint, that would be a helpful point of connection for you. We are glad that you're here. Um, so interesting days ahead of us as a church. And uh, God's been very faithful, uh, but very fitting for this morning as we talk about missions um, and the accommodations that we're making for more people to hear this gospel and to be on this journey of faith with us. Uh, we're going to pray before we get started, and I'm going to pray for another church in town, uh, actually the church that uh, birthed this church. I want to pray for Ridgecrest Baptist Church, their leadership, and uh, their their family there. They're in the transition of uh, creating some more space and better space even at their church. And so they're off their campus right now meeting, and I want to pray that they would stay focused and on mission and enjoying Christ together. Let's pray. God, your glory is our cry, and I pray that we live that and not just sing it. And we pray for your glory among the people and leadership at Ridgecrest Baptist Church, even this morning, as they're enjoying the gospel once again, that in the transition that they're in with their facility, that you would make that go smoothly and that your, their people would be faithful in supporting that and that they would do it for your glory. Do it with you in mind and with the people in mind who don't see and don't understand Jesus in this area. And we pray the same for us in this season of transition and making more room for the growth that you've brought. Help us be good stewards, be faithful and diligent and persistent. Because we want your name known among people who don't see you and don't understand. We want your name proclaimed. And we want you to get your worship from your people. And we want to be troubled with the other churches in town at your unrecognized greatness in the hearts of men all around us. I pray that's what you generate in us, especially in this next few Sundays. And that we'd be faithful to be a church that wants your glory among all nations. And that's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be in Romans 15, if you want to turn with me there. Romans chapter 15, verse 14 through 24. Now, I mentioned it just a second ago that we are, we take every spring, we started this last year, and we talk about missions. And we focus on missions, and we kind of reorient ourselves and redefine what is missions. And why even be a part of it? And then we also take up an offering. We'll be taking up our missions offering this Sunday. Next Sunday is Easter. We take it up then. And then April 8th will be the third Sunday that we take that up. Ben McGraw will be preaching those two. By the way, some, 
many people keep telling me, hey, when you preach, you need to introduce yourself because half the people are new. Um, my name is Brad Cardwell. I am the non-staff, one of the non-staff elders here at Cross Point. Ben McGraw and Scott Sutton are on staff and do most of the preaching. But I get an opportunity to preach occasionally. And uh, Ben will be back next week at Easter. And then April 8th, Ben will preach also. And we're also going to have one of the families that we've sent as missionaries sharing that Sunday on April 8th. So more about that later. Anyway, anytime we talk about missions, we have to make sure we start at the right point. We have to start at the right point where the Bible starts. If we don't, we can very easily veer off and be a part of what we think is missions, what we think a mission is, what we think our mission is, and we can veer from it slightly and greatly if we don't always start at the right place. The question to ask when we consider what is missions is this question. What does God intend? What is he up to? Ultimately, another way to say it would be, what is the bottom line? Okay, God's doing a lot of things, but what is he ultimately about? This morning as we sit here, all over the world, what is he really doing? What is he after? What does he intend? What does he seek? What is God up to ultimately? What is the bottom line? Right? You know that lingo. When somebody says, what's the bottom line? That's what we're really about, right? That's what's really going on. What is the bottom line? And we see it all throughout the Old Testament. It's right there. All throughout the Old Testament, we see this bottom line of what he's up to, and then it's culminated in the church, and now that's what we're up to, should be. And so he speaks about it all throughout the Old Testament. He perfected it and accomplished it in Jesus, and now we walk in it as the church, and he's using us to accomplish this bottom line. And here it is. God's bottom line, his prime desire. What is he up to? He is up to getting glory, his glory, and he wants it from all nations. That's it. That's the target. That's his goal today, is to receive worship and honor and fame and glory and to be known by all peoples, all races, all nations, all corners of the globe. That's his ultimate goal. And we see it in Genesis 12 when he calls Abraham. He says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. So does God bless us? Yes, he's blessed us in Jesus. He's blessed us with abundance. He blesses us. He blessed Abraham. Why? So that you'd be a blessing to the nations because Jesus would come from his line. In Daniel 6, all the stories of the Old Testament, we see God's bottom line. In Daniel chapter 6, he blessed Daniel. I think not getting eaten by lions is a blessing. But did he do that so that David, I mean, so that Daniel could, man, go on a book signing tour and talk about how cool it was in the den when they didn't eat him? But he ate the bad guys, right? I mean, the lions attacked the bad guys but saved the good guy. Is that the story? Is that it? Good guys win? Faithful guys win? No. The bottom line to Daniel's faithfulness and rescue is that King Darius said, At the end of that chapter, all kingdoms, all nations will now worship Daniel's God. 
God gets his glory. He gets his fame through our blessing. Do you see it? That's what he's after. And Ezekiel, when he's talking, probably when Ezekiel's talking about Israel and how they've been saved and they're undeserving, and he's going to show them grace one more time. Why? Because they're worthy? Because they deserve it? No. I'm going to save you again. I'm going to take you back in. Why? So that all the earth will know how great I am. All nations will say, look at that merciful, unending, graceful God. And that's how I will be known. That's why I'm saving you. So the bottom line is God wants his fame and his glory. He wants to be known among all peoples. That's where we start. We have to. And I think you'll see it as Paul's talking to this church in Rome in Romans chapter 15. So let's read those passages. There's three little sections here that we're going to look at. We're going to look at Paul's satisfaction with this church. Then we're going to look at Paul's ambition. And then his call for them to partner with him. Okay, so that's the three sections we're going to move through. Got it? Paul's satisfaction with them. His ambition as a missionary. And then his call for them to partner with him. Okay, let's read. Romans chapter 15, verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience, by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem... All the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. So the first point here, Paul says he's satisfied with this church. I want to look at what that means. And he calls them full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and able to instruct one another. What does that mean? In short, it means that this church is very healthy. Okay? They're full of goodness. What does that word mean in the original language? It means morally and ethically pure. But even more, this word in Scripture is used to mean full of kindness, thoughtfulness, and charity. Boy, what a great way to be known, right? A great, to be known as a kind people, a thoughtful people, 
and no one in their clan ever is in need. The needs are met. They're charitable people, thinking outside of themselves among one another. Their lives are interconnected, and they're thoughtful of one another. They're kind. These people, this church, these Christians that meet, man, those are kind and thoughtful and charitable people. Man, what a great goal. What a great reputation, right? Who would, who would not want that? They're filled with knowledge. They're informed and aware with a mature grasp of gospel truth. Okay? You might say these people are, man, they get the doctrines of grace. They know theology. They're deep. They know a lot about the gospel story. They know a lot about the implications of Jesus and his accomplishment on the cross. They, man, they know a lot of details. These people are deep. They are grasping the knowledge and the details, the story of the gospel. Man, they go deep. They're knowledgeable. Man, another great reputation for a church to really dig and get to know the depths of the gospel and the depths of God. What a great reputation to have. And they're able to instruct one another. They hold each other accountable. And they help one another understand the gospel. Okay? So they have really good life groups. I mean, really good life group shepherds who are really helping to everybody to understand the gospel. And they spend time helping one another. They hold one another accountable. This church... These believers in Rome, according to Paul, they're not dabbling in Christianity, right? They don't have these people who come in and fly away. Nah, no thanks. Or they don't have people who come in and go, yeah, you know, I, I like Jesus. I think he's a good person, but I'm just going to hang out. And as long as things don't go my way, I'm out of here. That's not this people. They're not dabbling in this. They're all in. They're blameless. They're filled with knowledge, able to instruct one another. And they have a reputation of being kind, thoughtful, and charitable And so, these people, this church that gather, have these deep roots of understanding in the gospel, are good people. They love good teaching. They're attentive. They sit through 50-minute sermons. They're not afraid to ask questions. This church is every local pastor's dream. Right? I'll speak for Ben and Scott. This is every local pastor's dream. And I'll also speak for Ben and Scott when I say, that's how we feel about you. This is how we feel about Crosspoint. Everything I've mentioned today, I'll argue a fence post out of the ground with you that this is who you are becoming and who you are and who we are as a church. It's every local pastor's dream. It's a good thing. However, you knew that was coming, right? Paul says, you're not perfect, okay? There's one thing that I've continually had to remind you, and, and I wrote it boldly. And he did it with the Corinthian church too. But this is what he says. Look at verse 15. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder. Because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. Hey, really strong, mature church, this gospel 
is also for people who haven't heard it yet. That's great that you're growing. God is up to something. Remember, his goal and his target is people who haven't heard. He wants people from all nations. He wants people in Greenville and Hunt County who haven't heard. He wants worship and he wants glory that he's not getting. So church, don't miss it. Be troubled by the unrecognized greatness of God. That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, remember, God's after all peoples. I love it that you're a strong church, but he is after all peoples. It doesn't terminate on you. And you need to continue to grow deep in the gospel truths. You need to be prepared. It will help you hold on. But don't forget, he's after more. He's after more. More glory and more worship for more people who don't see this morning and don't understand this morning. That's what he's after. That's the first part of his reminder. This is for the Gentiles. He wants them to be a thank offering to God and bring God glory. And it's also a reminder of how truly simple the gospel truth is that saves people. Let me say that again. He, he wants them to remember how truly simple the gospel truth is that saves people. Now, we could talk about all the good teaching here, the, the Bible study on Sunday mornings. We're diving into some things that are not simple, right? You, you do Bible studies. I, I hear it. I hear you listening to podcasts, and you're digging deep. And, and some of these things are connected to the story, the Old Testament story you're seeing Uh, So many connections of God's mission and his plan and his salvation in the Old Testament and how that's foreshadowing. And those are great connections and that helps you hold fast. That's great. And those things are not simple, are they? It takes some thought and some work to listen and be attentive and be aware to the depth of the gospel. But Paul says, remember. Remember what snagged your heart. He doesn't say that specifically here, but I'm saying it. Remember the simple truth that snagged your heart? It was this, in some form or fashion, I'm in trouble. (laughs) Jesus did something for me that I could not do for myself, and I need a Savior. Okay? Not complicated, is it? That somehow, in some form, probably is what got most of us. That simple truth. I'm in trouble. Jesus is the way out of trouble, and I need to trust him. And I need to follow him, okay? And that's what Paul gets to. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He had to say the same thing to these folks. I want you to listen to what he says. He had to keep reminding these churches that were growing, that were getting deep, that were understanding more. He had to remind them of the simple truth that saves the lost. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1. Let you get there so you can read along. Here's the reminder. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received. Remember what snagged your heart. This is what got you, okay? In which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. 
I delivered to you as of first importance what I received. It's this, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. And he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Man, that's simple. Yes, it's that simple. That is a gospel message that will save, that will snag hearts. That simple truth is a simple truth that many have never heard, who maybe they've heard it, but they don't understand it. And he reminds the Corinthians, remember, I've given you lots of instruction in this letter. I've given you a a ton of things to walk in. But don't forget, let let me remind you, what this simple truth that saves. Christ Jesus died, was buried, and rose again for your sins. Don't forget that simple truth. And that truth is not just for you Jewish Christians in Rome. It's for everybody. All peoples, all nations. That's his goal. He wants worship. He wants the salvation of all peoples. All nations, all races, all colors, all ethnicity. That's what he's after. That's You know why? Because it's what he deserves. Our God is that great. He deserves the recognition and the fame. And he deserves the worship of the entire planet. And Paul gets it. Right? Paul is saying, this is not just for you anymore, Jewish Christian. This is for the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are everybody else. The Gentiles are you and me. And aren't you grateful that it is for you and me? And not just for one nation. This is where the gospel explodes and goes out. And it keeps going. And Paul gets that. It was preached and you believed it. You were dead But now you're alive. And because of that simple truth that you heard and believed in, whether you were 5 or 15 or 25 or 50, and I probably hit somebody in here where that was the age or close to it, that this truth hit you and you were saved. 5, 15, 25, 50, that's the truth that you believed in that started the journey for you. Don't forget that. And don't forget that's what we proclaim. And don't forget that's what he's after. All peoples, all Gentiles. Hold fast to that simple truth. But know that there's an ambition greater than just you knowing it. Second is Paul's ambition in verse 19. We see his ambition here. He's making it clear back in Romans 15. Verse 19. By the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. Not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. So, real quick, by way of review, Paul has said to this church, man, I'm proud of you. You, you are every local pastor's dream. You know the gospel. You're digging deep. But know this. This gospel is for more people. And we're going to keep it going. And I'm going to keep preaching to people who haven't seen and don't understand. 
That's missions. I hope you see that. And Paul is on that mission. And he, he, he quotes here Isaiah 52. Those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. And he says first, though, I don't have any other work in this region. Then what, what does he mean? Did everybody pray a prayer, fill out a card, and get baptized in the whole region? What does he mean there? What he means is I've preached to every group of people, and there are churches planted in those places. So I've preached the gospel, people believed, and now they're still preaching it. The church is still preaching the gospel to people in this region. So I need to go where there is no church, where people do not have access. So my ministry's done here. Mission accomplished. You're doing great. You're growing. I'm going to where there is no church. I'm going to the frontier. I want to be a part of proclaiming the goodness and greatness of God and Jesus to people who have never heard it. That's where I'm going. And that's what I'm giving my life to. Mission accomplished here in Rome, but there's more. And his focus is where the church is non-existent. And what is behind this ambition? Well, it's this Isaiah 52 passage. That's behind his ambition. I want you to turn to Isaiah 52. We're going to look at about four verses there. And I want you to see what is fueling Paul's ambition here. And I hope you'll see it's the bottom line. I hope that you see that what is fueling Paul's ambition is the bottom line. And this is where it gets sweet. Look for the bottom line in this. Isaiah 52, and we'll look at verse 6 and 7, and then verse 12, and then verse 15. Just, just watch how God moves with his people, okay? This is before Christ. This is when God is the God of Israel. Not necessarily the nations yet, but watch his movement, how he moves here with his people. Verse 6, Isaiah 52. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day, they shall know that it is I who speak. Here am I. He wants to be known, and he wants to be known among his people. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publish peace, who bring good news, happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. He wants glory and he sends his people to proclaim it. Do you see it? That's how he moves. That's how our God moves. He, he wants glory, and he wants his goodness and grace to be known. And he sends his people, and I love the word here, he sends us out to publish it. To publish his goodness and his greatness in Jesus. And that's what he's doing here, and that's what he does with us. He sends us out. This is just like how Paul talks. He borrows this language in Romans 10. Five chapters before, he borrows this language. You've heard this verse a million times. Romans 10, 12 through 15. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek any longer. The same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how are they to call on him whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So Isaiah says, how beautiful are the feet 
in Israel who proclaim his goodness. To Israel. And now, Paul bars the same language. How beautiful are the feet of those who don't just preach to Israel, but preach to everybody. This is for everyone now, not just one nation. Paul used that same language. And so he sends us. He uses us. He sends some of you literally out. And he sends the rest of us that we'll see in a minute to partner with that. Look at verse 12 of Isaiah 52. For you shall not go out in haste and you shall not go in flight. For the Lord will go before you and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. This sounds like the Great Commission. Go into all nations, baptizing them, teaching them, and I will always be with you. Right? You go out and I will be with you. And it won't be in haste and it won't be in flight. You won't do it in fear and you won't get in a hurry. You'll do it calculated and you'll do it balanced and you'll do it with wisdom. But you will go. Do you see it? He's, he's not calling us something that he, to something that he won't go with us in. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, it will be hard. But he will be with us. Now look at verse, um, look at verse 15. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Do you see the bottom line? He shall sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they will see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. He shall sprinkle many nations. You see his goal? His goal is for his blood to cover people from all nations. And he's using this sprinkle terminology. The, the, the priest would sprinkle blood on a leper so that they would be healed and so that they could come back in to the people of God in the presence of God. That was for Israel. The priest would sprinkle blood on the Israelites who had leprosy. Okay, that was for Israel. And the priest would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat on the Day of Atonement just so that the people could come back to the presence of God. He would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat just so that Israel could come back and be with him. And the priest even had to sprinkle water on himself just to enter the presence of God. But that was just for Israel. And in Christ and what he accomplished on the cross by being punished in your place for your sin, now his sprinkle is not just for the leper His sprinkle is not just for Israel. His sprinkle is not just for a priest. The sprinkle of his blood is for the nations. It's sufficient to cover more than just Israel. It's sufficient for the world. And the greatest thing about it is, our priest sacrificed himself. We have a good and great high priest And Jesus, who not only is provision enough, not only is he sufficient enough to cover us, but he's sufficient in himself. He provided himself for us. And the sprinkling of his blood is intended for the nations. It's intended for the globe. I love how one commentator said, When he says here, this shuts the mouths of kings, what does he mean by that? Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. 
And what he means here in Isaiah is that no other ruler, no other kingdom, no other king, no other president, no other leader, no other authority ever on earth and ever will be can do for their people what he has done. I love how uh, uh, Ray Ortland says it. He says, Jesus' suffering and accomplishment on the cross, it outperforms. It outperforms any other earthly leader, authority, small G God, you name it. He outperforms as a king. He outperforms. And so kings can do nothing but, oh, they got nothing on him. No other authority on earth has anything on him because they can't do what he did. He took away the iniquity of his people and he gave them life when they were dead. And no other king, no other authority can do that. He stands out. He outperforms. So his kingdom is a kingdom. It's invisible. And it's not immediate, right? It's it's progressing. His kingdom is growing. And the Israelites thought, okay, his kingdom is going to be immediate. And it's going to be visible. And you're going to be seated. Rome will be defeated. Our problems will go away. No. This is, you know, they thought maybe this is going to be a political thing that Jesus was going to pull off. No more economic hard times. But Paul knows that this is not a political battle or a venture, military venture. Paul knows this isn't an economic or a moral battle. Paul knows this is a battle for sight and understanding of those who don't know. There are still those that don't see and don't understand, and so we must go and preach with a promise that he's going to be up in front of us and he's going to be right behind us when we go. Now, third section, Romans 15. Back to the passage. We're almost done. Romans 15. Paul calls this church to partner with him. He calls them to be a part of this mission. That he's on, and hopefully you have. It's been clear what the mission is. And Paul's given his life to it, and he calls them to be a part of it. Verse twenty-three. We'll start there. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing. And as I go to Spain to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, what kind of help is he asking for? He's asking for probably some provision, probably a place to stay, rest, yes. But he's also going to be asking for an offering. He's going to be asking for financial support. He can't do this or else he has to make tents. And so he's asking, he does it throughout the New Testament. He asks for the offering. He's asking for their full support in the mission, right? Give me some rest. Get me ready to keep going because I'm going to the front line. And he asks for their support. He's calling them to do two things. He's calling them, he's already said, I want you to endure where you're at, but I want you to go with me with support. Beautiful work of getting glory from all peoples. They can be a part of it outside of their context, outside of their problems, outside of their issues, outside of their money problems and relationship issues and the difficulties that they're facing in Rome. And he's calling them to be a part of something outside of themselves, bigger than the church in Rome, right? 
And it, and it gives them a perspective. It should give us a perspective that despite what's going on around us, despite the difficulties, God is up to something greater. And it also gives us the perspective in this, that there are people right now who don't have access to this. I mean, no access. If they wanted someone to preach good news to them, there's no access to it. Still, there's places like that. If they wanted, if they had a thought that Jesus, they heard him in a dream, whatever. If, if they even thought they wanted to hear someone preach the good news to them every week to reorient them. Out of luck, sorry. If they, if they wanted someone to feed them the reminder of his sacrifice and his blood. If they wanted someone to serve them the supper. Not happening. And so the perspective is there's a, a work outside of your context. There's a work outside of your church. Your, your church is a part of something bigger and taking this good, great news to a people who have never seen it and don't understand it. And we take a simple truth. I wonder if some folks in Rome, as Paul's passing back through, I wonder if there was a group that said, well, you know, Paul's coming back. He's going to talk about missions again. And you know, our Bible study that we've been having, we are just now really getting our heads wrapped around the penal substitutionary atonement of Christ. We're really going deep here, but Paul's going to come back. Talk about lost people and how simple the gospel is. And you know he's going to ask for money. Oh. So we'll put our lives on hold and we'll stop our deep growth and our maturity to help Paul. I don't know if they said that. But I hope we don't ever do that. I hope we don't ever say, oh gosh, mission's time again. That means we got to not go out to eat for two months so that we can give an offering or we got to postpone a home project or we don't even have any money. I don't know what, I'm just going to walk around in guilt, I guess. I don't know what to do here. I hope we don't view it like that because it's not a sacrifice to be a part of this work. We don't, we're not giving up anything. When Jesus was talking about how difficult following him would be and how you would lose stuff in Matthew 10, he taught you, you might lose your family. Like if you profess Christ, your, your, <clears throat> your mom and your dad may not get it, your brothers and sisters, you may lose immediate family if you follow Jesus. He was talking about how hard it is and how difficult it is. And this is what he says. He says, and whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And if you stopped right there in verse 38, it sounds like, oh, dang. You're going to lose a bunch of stuff. Family and money. It's going to be hard. Take up a cross. Ugh. But then he says in verse 39, whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake, for what I'm doing, 
will find life. So there is no loss. There's gain. You don't gain life in Jesus unless you let go of yours. And this perspective of God calling all peoples to himself and his goal, if that becomes our ambition, it will change It will change the way we view. It will change our perspective. It will change our view of our time and our money. And I'm I'm using air quotes, okay, because our time is not ours. It's his, and and our money is not ours. It's his. And it will also change our prayers. It will change the direction of how we think and pray constantly. And is it his fame and glory among people? Are we burdened by his unrecognized greatness among people who don't see and understand? It will change us. And so being a partner in this, taking up an offering, to go to support people who are working in places and among peoples who have never heard and never understand is no sacrifice. It's a privilege. He invites us into his work. Just like Paul invites this Rome church. I want you to help me. And he invites them in to help and it's a privilege to be a part of it. And it does this. It takes this church in Rome out of their isolation because it was not easy to be the church there. Okay? It's not easy to be. It's not popular to be a Christian there. And so this takes them out and go, oh, God's doing something and he's calling more people like us. He's calling more people to be saved and he's getting worship and glory from other people and there's other people who have never heard what we enjoy. And so it takes them out of being isolated. When we adopt Paul's ambition, which is God's ambition, and we align our lives with this bottom line and we remember what he's doing and that he allows us to be a part of it, It'll change. It'll change us. It'll change how we spend our money, spend our time, and our prayer. And I hope he's doing that with us. And I hope that we don't hunker down like the church in Rome was kind of doing. Holding on to our faith, fearful of the outside world, fearful of those around us, fearful of our culture, fearful of people, hunkered down, and not being ready to, with Paul, Publish salvation. Like Isaiah said. Publish it. Publish his goodness. I mentioned earlier that we are taking up a missions offering. We do this um, typically, our Baptist heritage, they do this at uh, Christmas. And um, it's called Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And that generation is kind of gone on and most of you have no clue who Lottie Moon is and instead of trying to go back and revisit that and reteach that and get the thousand yard stare from most of you we call it the Christmas I mean the uh, uh, cross point spring missions offering and so we give an offering we take up an offering uh, this Sunday next Sunday and April 8th that goes directly to the people and we've got one of those families in our church they'll be here April 8th to share this offering goes to them to support them. Just like Paul asked for help, the same support he was asking for, that's what this does. It keeps them in a place. They've given their lives to it. This is not a visit and a trip for them. They live there. And that's what this offering goes to 100% to them. So don't do this out of guilt. Don't write a check because you want... None of the elders are going to see what you give. 
Don't do it out of guilt. Don't do it to impress anybody. Paul said in uh, 1 Corinthians 8, he said, decide in your heart. You, you, you've heard the scriptures. You've heard what he's up to. You know the bottom line. You know his ambition. You know Paul's ambition. Give according to how that hits your heart. Give according to what your heart is worshiping. So don't do it out of guilt. Decide in your heart. The second thing for us as a church is this perspective of people who haven't seen and people who don't understand, the lost, the mission going out. That perspective is the perspective we will have to have when we go to two services. And you may think, oh, he's talking logistics now. No, I'm talking heart matters still. I'm not just talking logistics. I'm talking heart. Because we'll go to two services, and we will get uncomfortable, and we will still not have a parking spot, and we will still walk from the bank, and we will still not see our friends, and then we will be right back at 200 people here because it's just too uncomfortable and too hard. But if our ambition is God's ambition to make room for more people to see and understand the gospel, this is something that we can pull off and that we will faithfully steward. But it has to be the bottom line driving it. It has to be God's fame known, making room for more people to know him and worship him. If that's driving us, I don't have any concern. And neither does leadership. But that's what it'll have to be. Last thing. There's plenty of causes that we can give to. Plenty of things you can give money to and your time to. Political causes, educational causes, environmental causes, health and wellness, maybe building wealth. Maybe that's a cause for you. There's lots of causes that we can give ourselves and our money to. But I want to leave you with this quote from Alistair Begg. He was preaching on the kingdom of Jesus. And how different it is from any other kingdom. And this is what he said. We are surrounded by a world that's afraid of death. And you have the answer. You want a cause worth dying for? Go to places where no one's heard about Jesus. Maybe that's your office. Are you looking for it? Maybe for some of you and some of our students even, that's them actually getting up and going to those places. Maybe for your family, it would be to consider doing the same. Bottom line, he's after his glory among all peoples. And he's doing a work outside of us. And it's a privilege to be a part of it. Let's pray. Father, you're good and you're gracious to allow us to have time in your word and to sing songs with great instruments and the depth of teaching you give us here, and I pray that you would, in a grateful heart, we're thankful for it, and yet I pray you help us not forget the simple truth that saves and goes out to people who have not seen and don't understand. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.